You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, Lacrosse is at it again with a new line of lace up hunting boots, the Navigator Series. And in that Navigator Series, there are two models there's the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. To find out more information about this new Navigator Series, visit lacrossefootwear.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys, welcome back. Um, another late night podcast. Late night in season. We've been busy hunting, working, traveling, and uh, trying to get in as much hunting as possible. Yeah, for sure. Uh, by, like by like wor- everyone else, right? By working, it's uh, consulting. Yeah. For some strange reason, we got hammered with lots of consulting here during October. It's been late October, busy. and and uh, so. No complaints. No complaints at all, uh, which is kind of just a great reminder that, guys, we are getting booked. Oh, man. Um, this spring and, and winter, um, there's a lot of projects coming up. Um, but to, if you guys are interested, s- um, we definitely have some openings. We're traveling to certain areas. Hey, um, some of the some of the big areas that we're definitely going to for sure already, um, Georgia, Illinois, Ohio, West Virginia, Tennessee, um, Oklahoma. Mississippi, Oklahoma, and um, I think there's the a Great Lakes, maybe a Michigan, Wisconsin, yes. even Minnesota, possible. Those three, and if you got, you know, try and kind of batch some things together if we can. Um, probably going to be a, a May trip yeah. for for the Wisconsin, Minnesota, Northern Ohio at some yep. point, probably in April. Yeah, uh, up near Cleveland, so lot of a uh, lot of traveling ahead of us um, so if you guys are interested not only that but also Kyle and Frank mm-hmm. um, from the upland side of things um, for sure so if you guys are interested in hiring out or cons- uh, having Matt myself Kyle or Frank shoot us an email at info at land and legacy 
dot tv dot tv that's it yeah i was trying to remember because um we've had a couple messages where guys say that they've been sending emails and they're not going through which is weird but then we're getting emails all the time (laughs) daily um of uh questions of other consults inquiries yeah we don't know what's going on guys if if you shoot an email and this is a time i want to remind people um if you shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram or an email, um, I promise you, we will get with you. It, we will. I promise. But we are definitely, so our wives help us um, best they can. But it's really just Matt and I. <laughs> yeah. And Kyle and Frank, um, shoot, we may have to con them into helping respond to some of these questions. But it's just us two for the most part. And so it, yeah. we're trying to juggle real estate, consulting, content, as well as respond to all these questions. And so families and at the same time, try not to completely bury, dig our own grave. <laughs> um, and so fail, please, please <laughs> fail. take a, a little bit of patience when it uh, comes to the fact that we may not get back with you right away. Uh, one thing, we recently did a giveaway. Uh, I gave away right. some hats um, on Facebook and Instagram. If you haven't liked those pages yet, please go and check them out. Um, and then also, what else do we have coming down the pipe? Or We've got some other stuff coming probably next month yep. that we will release um, that I think a lot of people will really, really like. We also have... Um, New videos dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Seth Harker and his son Trace took down a nice buck recently. Chad yep. took down a doe. Uh, yep. a, a doe we have a history with. We'll oh, share a little bit of that yeah. on the other podcast, the hunting podcast. Yep. Um, but uh, those videos will be dropping soon. We've been in pursuit of donuts quite a bit. A lot of things happening. Um, go check out the other podcast when we talk about hunting strategy. Uh, before we get started, we want to thank... The fine folks at Pure Air Natives for helping make this podcast possible. If you're looking for native grasses or wildflowers, pollinator mixes, go check out Pure Air Natives um, out of St. Louis. Do all kinds of work across the country. Help you find out if there's government cost share programs, CRP programs, all things natives. Go check them out, pureairnatives.com. Okay. Man, let's talk some habitat and some... Uh, we're. You know, we we try and break things up a little bit, like hunting and then habitat. But right now, I mean, it's November. I mean, it, yeah. it, we're, we're talking both. And so there could be a lot of things that, you know, uh, kind of correlate with, with hunting as well as habitat. And, and the reason and the decision that we're making right now based on um, where we're headed to the stand, what areas we're hunting, is, is really solely based on, on two things. It's either or it's the wind and it is what habitat is present there because that dictates what we're going to see. Yeah. How many times... And we we talk about this all the time. I've got a question for you. How many many times have you seen this... Sorry, it's a little weird. We're we're recording at Matt's house tonight, and it's a little weird to get... Impromptu studio. (laughs) Um How many times have you seen posts, and I want our listeners to be thinking of this as well, but here we are, it's early November. How many times have you seen somebody talk about, I'm in his bedroom tonight, or boy, I'm in the the spot tonight, 
and they show a picture of like a thicket. Yep. They're hunting in heavy cover, or they're yep. hunting close to heavy cover, or their post talks about something with heavy cover. Mm-hmm. I've seen it a lot. It's and, like and more more so right now. It's like the rut happens, and people are like I can go in there, I can get in there, and it seems like very much a. Uh, correlation with okay the rut hits i need to go to uh, i'm gonna be hunting around this spot uh it's bottlenecks and cover and preferably if, if you're asking us like where we're hunting and we're trying to hunt bottlenecks knowing somewhere where there's some thickets bedding thickets that we've created or where naturally occurring naturally occurring and so uh there's a lot of correlation between bottlenecks and thickets mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And I think this podcast a lot has to do with thickets, cover, lots of uh, b- brush, if you want to use that word. But the, the generic thick the, cover is just, oh, yeah, it's, it's brushing. That's right. Various types of brush. <laughs> Various types of you know, shrubby say, cover, shrub, grasses, shrubs, brambles. Herb, herbaceous cover, grasses, uh, brambles, whatever it is. Um so this podcast, we're talking about a lot of our favorites per region and how you can do to manage those, create those, and what your goal should be as far as improving the cover so you can make your hunting better. Totally, totally. And yes, you know, we do we do cover this a lot, bit, but it holds so much importance. And I, and I think that this week... I know you, Adam, you've been talking to, to several clients and, and gotten some updates and as well as I, but you know, a lot of them are having success and having success in and around these areas. Um, we just can pause. Do we just get, <laughs> sorry guys, we're about to pause for a second. No, we get a cutty image. We got a cutty back cutty email. Ba- Ooh, so you guys get a, a live coy- up coyote, young buck, another coyote. It looks like that coyote was running the bottom. Huh. Two of them. So we had two pictures of coyotes. Okay. Young buck. Uh, looks like another young buck up there at the Glady Cutoff. One of those young eights down at Brushy Bottom. Yep. Got to turn the infrared down on that. Another young buck down at Glady Cutoff. Looks like two coyotes running down the tree, uh, by the tree. Another young Jeez. buck at Brushy Bottom. Um, another coyote. Okay, so it's those same two at yeah. North, North Bottom. Oh, then another oh. coyote running through South Saddle, young bucket. There he is. I see, I see what I want to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, live update for you guys. So we're checking. We we go back several podcasts. We had the guys from Cutty Back Cameras on talking about the Cutty Link system, and so we get emails. We've got twelve cameras out, all emailed, and every time we get thirty images. It sends it, or every six hours, it sends whatever images it's collected. In in the queue. Right. In the queue. And so we have Mr. On the Landing Road, Mr. Donuts, at going through. 21. What I love about it is. He yeah, was he, there he, last night about the same yep. time. At basically, exactly, exactly the same time. Yeah. And he um, cleared that scrape out. Did you that, notice that? That's what that? I, love, I love seeing. That's what I was talking about. You know, you got a sequence of pictures here. And, you know, first picture, he comes into the frame. You can see that there's definitely a scrape there. And then, um, you know, at the end, the last photo, as he's walking away, it's just a dirt pile. And he just he just worked that scrape over perfectly. And, and yeah. you know, I don't want to distract from what we talked about as this podcast was going to be about. Um, but I kind of have to, as as we got this email perfectly timed on the podcast, was 
I think a lot of times, and we've talked about what trail cameras do and what they don't do, but a lot of times we put a lot of faith into trail cameras trying to tell the whole story or trying to really take a full-on complete picture of what a deer herd looks like or what a deer herd the behavior is as we're seeing a lot of change in behavior coming from late October into November. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we, we, we judge based just on those, those trail cameras, but a lot of times what we're seeing and, and while we're consulting here in October, which I think is, is a good time for us honestly to be out there is the inventory techniques of gathering information with the trail cameras are being underutilized from what we're seeing in the placement of trail cameras across properties. Yep. To be able to accurately depict and know what is occurring on a property, let's say maybe it's not every six hours or maybe it's not every 12 hours. Maybe it's every three days you're able to get out and check them. And, and a lot of things do change right now at this time frame. But for you to be able to judge what the deer herd is doing, the behavior, where they're traveling, where they're not traveling, what areas are hot, what pinch points are hot, you have to have cameras in those areas. You have to have cameras on scrapes. You have to have them on on the bottlenecks. And yes, it's important to go and look every camera. I, I, I think we have, if we have a camera on a food plot right now, the only reason it's there is because, yes, we know deer are there utilizing it, but it's because there's a scrape there or we created a scrape because that's what deer are going to be doing right yeah. now. They aren't going to stay there for the rest of the season, but you almost, you know, when season opens up, you're kind of hunting food pots. Then you transition and start getting into, um, uh, you know, the, the whole activity, the rutting activity. You know, so you're starting to move cameras onto scrapes, but now you need to be scrapes and bottlenecks and and heavily on scrapes to be able to know what the heck deer are doing. Yeah, or what deer are even in the area as far as, 100%. like, donuts. We know he's in the area, but it's not like, I mean, I have enough buddies that know about that deer now. Because <laughs> yeah. he's, you know, if we were in Iowa, people probably wouldn't even ask us. Yeah. It'd be just like, oh, you hunting a, hunting a big deer? Yep. But for where we're at, it's like. He's a unicorn, yeah. and so everybody around is asking about him, and it's like, you still getting pictures of him? Well, some, but not like you probably are expecting, but we we know he's there. And that's that's the important thing of, okay, you put these cameras in the right area over the right, let's say, resource, and the resource can be just a scrape. You look at the place, uh, Burger Place. We had a, a, a different deer that we haven't had any pictures of, you know, all season long, just show up and he's potentially a a, um, a target deer. It's like, hmm, if we had just had that on the food plot, thirty yards away, honestly, we, we probably probably wouldn't have gotten him. There's not the scrapes there in and around the edge of the food plot because it's kind of in the open, but just along, you know, just outside in a little pinch corridor, that's where the scrapes are. That's where we're monitoring them. Yeah, and that that tells the story. At this time of the season, Man, what's happening? Some good videos on that camera. Fantastic. We'll, we'll post. We'll post a couple. Um, I I guess I say I say and bring that up because don't want people to not value or underutilize the tools that they have available for them to be able to gather information and make those right decisions of do I hunt that area? Do I not? Is it worthwhile pushing in? Is that deer showing up? I I don't know. I need to know. 
we got to make sure you're monitoring those areas appropriately. For sure. For sure. Um, mm, donuts. Showing back up. Yeah, and we don't – and it's kind of weird at a, at a time of the year to have a deer do some of the same stuff. But it will be really so interesting to see what he does the rest of the evening because yesterday evening after he hit um, – that one area, he he just kind of went straight down and hit a couple other key areas with additional bottlenecks that we can hunt. But it's like, why all of a sudden is he starting to be he semi-patternable? He hasn't been at Ruby Ridge. I don't think we even had him there this summer. No. He, we did last no. summer. Correct. And um, then all of a sudden he showed up up there, which I would love it if he went to Ruby Ridge and hung out. Sure, sure. Because yeah, that area and that portion of the farm is so much more huntable. I think than what he's doing right now. Right now, he's kind of oh. in a spot that's that's it's, it's very difficult. It's, it's like impenetrable. It's like that stinking goat or ram that's hanging up on the mountain that you can't get to. That's exactly what it's like. It, you just you look at him, you see him. We drive like, yeah. by it all the time oh, all and look time. up there and go, he's right up there, but we yep. can't get to him. Yep. Um, it, it is the perfect place for a deer, um, like say of that caliber. At yeah. Chad and I were going through like all these things the other day. We were hunting past the time, just things that hunters say, and it was like, "Well, that's that's how the deer gets old." Was was one of yeah. them, and just you know talking kind of about donuts. I don't but get it, that old for no re- exactly. for being stupid. <laughs> yeah, and it was like, "Dang, that's actually very fitting for for that deer where he is bedding down, staying at. You know, he's got a lot of things working to his that's advantage. Change. Oh, it will. We're putting a road right in the top of that ridge. Got to." And so there'll be a road on mid-slope on both sides mm-hmm. and right along the top. And there's going to end up being a food plot up in there to where it's like he may only have to walk 100 yards to hit that food plot. So You're getting way too ahead of it. <sighs> Hopefully we'll have some encounters and a harvest. Well, I'm of talking about his, his sons or yeah. his son's sons. <laughs> Because we're going to get him this but, year. And they're going to look just like him, too, right? No, I hope. I, I love – that's the other phrase. They're like, oh, that's – he's a grandson. This is <laughs> this this is the son of that one I shot years ago. <laughs> you know what? You know what's funny to me? One uh, of those phrases that always cracks me up is uh, – No, he was My the farm nephew. only grows eight-pointers. They're all yeah, about like uh, this, yeah. and they put their hands up. They're all just like this, and that's the only thing we ever grow. Yeah. And I'm like – and I, I, I chuckle because I'm like – so you don't think any new genes are coming in every year? Every yearling buck that's get dispersing kicked, gets kicked out is coming in. They all it's like there's this mold that when they're growing their belt. Well, I gotta go stick my head in the mold because that's the <laughs> yeah. what size I'm gonna be on this farm. Um, yeah, that's one that always uh, gets me. And if yeah. not, he he gets shunned and outcast to the neighbor. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, he can't hang. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, ain't, you ain't like us around here. Move yeah. along. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Did you? Uh, what other phrases did you guys? Oh have? gosh, there was numerous. Yeah, um, he didn't get that old for being dumb. For being dumb. Yeah. Um, there were some when when Chad harvested the dough, we were cleaning it and whatnot, and, and some some occurred then. Um, some <laughs> I shouldn't mention the podcast, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, man, it, there, there's so many of them. But it was it, when we were in the tree, we're like, you know, we should make we should make like a little spoof video or something like that of all like the things and just a compilation of things deer hunters say. I, I, <laughs> I almost would love to. Now we do the videos mainly because we just enjoy and it's educational and we love to share what we're doing and our strategies. But I almost would say let's skip all that and and just we're just gonna do spoof videos. On everything land management and hunting <laughs> yeah, yeah. because nobody else is doing it. Yeah, yeah. 
But I'm afraid everybody would hate us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we been, don't already. We've been, uh, oh gosh. Oh, oh, oh. St- someone, someone told me that they listened to the podcast and wished they'd worn their steel toe boots or something like that. <laughs> we stepped on their toes. Like, oh man, you know, if we create some videos over the stuff, it'd be the same. <laughs> it'd be even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'd, we'd be getting hospital bills from crushed toes. <laughs> yeah, man, oh man. Well, we better cover some of these. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we, we better. can finish this up and be in the stand in the morning. So, um, we did have. So a lot of this stirs up because it's rut. It's coming yeah. up on the rut anyway uh, for us, and and deer are really starting to shift around bedding and cover, and and we're hunting cover and. Um, of course you hear us rave and talk about cover so much. Um, and that, when I say cover, there is a long, long list and, and I know, uh, well, before I get to that, I'll just, we're, we're talking cover. We're talking about the importance of it and why you should be looking at it for, especially this time of year. Um, but then also, uh, it kind of came up with a question recently, uh, today actually from Kyle from PA. Uh, and apparently we, uh, we rave, a lot about American Beautyberry, and he's planting shrubs on his place, and he's wanting to create some of these thickets. Mm, and so nice. He wanted to plant Beautyberry. Taking, taking some awesome steps right out of the gate. Very yes, and and we've been getting this question more and more and more and more this past two years um, about what shrubs a person should plant. Sure. Um, and we go on about we've done podcasts, podcasts devoted yep. to our favorites. Um, but if you if you were to like say okay what's the best shrub I mean it it really comes down to the site if you look big picture and go okay what state are you in okay these are some and then it may say okay here's five within your region that we mm-hmm. like oh well you're down in a wetland well we we may go with button bush yep. instead of going with uh, American plum right um, site it, index it, is incredibly important we don't just we talk about our favorites, but it's not like, okay, because you're in the South, American Beautyberry is your choice. Yeah. It's, now, it's I'd love not. to say that, but sometimes it may be, it's too wet or it's way too rocky or whatever it is, it may not call for some of our favorites. So Kyle's in PA, very interested in American Beautyberry. Uh, we kind of sent him a different direction because American Beautyberry is not known in Pennsylvania. It's more of a species mm-hmm. of the South. And so, and even kind of the East Coast, there's places that I think you said mm-hmm. there's somewhere you grew yep. up. Yep. Um, you don't see it's American not, it's Beauty not very Berry. And, and I think it comes down to a conversation I had with Kyle Hedges on a recent podcast when we were talking about, we were talking about trees in general yeah. uh, and why you don't see a lot out on the prairies. And he said, I think it's because seed source isn't there. Like right. once you have a seed source, then it can spread more rapidly. And it's Certainly. like, a, it's like... Eastern red cedar or bush honeysuckle. Yeah, I just lumped those two together. Um, or it's also American beautyberry. You go down south, American beautyberries, where you start seeing it, it's like here's a cluster of it. It's like uh, because that seed source is there, it gets any, more prevalent. Any other openings prevalent. with some sunlight, you're probably going to see some sprouts. Yeah, and so uh, American beautyberry, not known in Pennsylvania, not saying it would would or wouldn't grow. I would assume it wouldn't grow too well. It probably won't flourish like some of your other species. But I'm not going to say that if you put it in the ground, it wouldn't grow. I don't know. Sure. We have no experience with it in that part of the world. But uh, there are better options. So There's, there's definitely options that are more suited. Nanny berry, 
Black Hall mm-hmm. and Black Choke Cherry are three that come to mind. There's a lot of dogwoods um, that are that are great. What it really comes down to is look into your state, your region for native shrubs. Look for fruit-bearing shrubs. Hawthorn. Hawthorn's well. another one, um, and I'm pretty sure hazelnut would be up there. But yep. we were looking at it more from a fruit-bearing rather mm-hmm. than a nut-bearing. But um, that's where that's where we were going. Um, so, guys, we love those trees just as much as American Beautyberry. Shrubs. Shrubs. We love those shrubs just as much as American Beautyberry. But American Beautyberry has, like, all the wonderful things that make us rave about it so much. So it's not like, okay, if you're planning on planting shrubs, plant American Beautyberry. Uh, even though we love it. If you're down south and you don't have it, get it. But at the same time... On my family farm or the Prairie Hollow property, we don't just plant American Beautyberry. No. We don't just plant Gigantus Miscanthus. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was a joke. We don't plant any of that crap. Um, oh, boy. We plant a diversity of things. And so, to kind of answer this question, American Beautyberry, probably not something that's going to thrive in PA. Uh, or the northern states because it is a species of the south. There are options that are going to be just as beneficial, but in a direct comparison of American beautyberry are going to do better because they're more adapted to that climate. Nannyberry, Black Hall, Black Choke Cherry are three of our favorites. There are several of the dogwoods that are great. Um, if you're looking for just and there's that's, so many that's different the thing, things. You know, one of the biggest benefits, especially getting back to like the podcast topic, is cover. And when you look at just just the shrub itself, look at the component, the the structure of it, the you know fact. Okay, whether it's a fruit bearing or nut bearing of those ones you listed off and recommended to the gentleman, all of them have generally, let's say, generally the same type of structure that they provide. It is a eight foot tall, ten foot tall, maybe shrub woody shrub that will have leaves and so it will be thick at the appropriate cover for deer and generally speaking so again the only difference is when you look at it from the wildlife eye is okay whether at a small portion of the year that specimen or that species will produce a fruit or it will produce a nut everything else is roughly the same that structure component that it provides and then the browse that it provides within reach of deer is the big thing to key on and the cover specifically at this time of the year because hopefully you can get in there and you're planting it and promoting it at places that you can hunt because that's yeah. what deer are doing yeah and, and and that's why we like these shrubs so much is because they produce a fruit that's foraged during late summer early fall um like particularly uh the american beauty berry produces leaves that deer mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. year round mm-hmm. uh, but then during the winter you've got the the ends the buds for woody browse so as you got food in late summer early early fall of the fruit then you go with the leaves also providing some forage then you go with the ends the buds for woody browse during the middle of the winter here's a cool and thing then too. at the same time it's cover year round yes Yes. Here's here's the other cool thing about it is take away deer from the equation. Okay, for a second, who cares about them? Uh, I should be shot saying that in November, right? Yeah. But think about the the fruit and or the the nut production of them 
you know, they supply a whole host of other species, songbirds, other game birds, with food as well. Yeah. You know, not every... Look at a white oak acorn or a chestnut. How many things can honestly eat that? A chestnut oak. There's a monstrous acorn. Oh, yeah. Squirrels. And you, you know what I mean? Like, not everything can consume that, but the smaller, let's say, size that you go from a nut or a berry, more things can benefit from them. So yes. you're making habitat, providing opportunity for many other creatures by planting these types of shrubs. Yeah. And so... Plant some shrubs on your place this next, this time of year. It's a great time of the year to be planting. Fantastic Take time. tomorrow off from hunting yep. and plant some trees. Absolutely. Um, shrubs. Shrubs. We, we told them to cut trees last yeah. week, remember? <laughs> hey, plant some trees, too. Oh, um, Yeah. Plant some trees But this is the time to. Cut this some trees if you need to. Um, let us... Help help Tell you and knowing <laughs> which ones to cut <laughs> yeah. because that's the biggest thing. Oh, uh, we yeah. can tell you a chainsaw is great, but we may get to your place and say, actually, we need you to plant some other yeah. stuff. Um, and so I think it's a great time to, because we're getting a lot of questions about it, to discuss some of our favorites and what to look for as quality cover depending upon your region. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of things that we've seen happening uh, that we want to clarify. Um, and so when you when we're looking for cover, and that's a very broad blanket statement, but we're looking cover for something comes in many that, shapes prov- and sizes. that provides shelter, security, Hopefully forage. For, well, that was the next part, but it's covered where they feel safe. You're not blowing blowing deer out of every time you go out there. Uh, but it's secure, but it's also got forage and cover value mm-hmm. to not just deer, but to a whole list of wildlife, native wildlife to that area. So let's start. What, you got a region you want to start with? Let's go southeast. So southeast, I'm thinking Georgia, South Carolina, even parts north. Uh, let's Alabama. say North Carolina, Alabama. Yep. Um, Tennessee, parts of Mississippi. This is where I think. Um, how do I say this? Um, there's a lot of you get scared every time I say that, don't you? Because you know where my mind's going. Um, there's a lot of times you can watch some YouTube videos or read articles, which is a dangerous game, um, and you you hear that. Woody cover. You need more woody cover. You need more. You hear us talk about you need woody cover. But if you're down south, the woody cover may not be as important as it is in Minnesota and Michigan and Uh, parts of the Great Lakes, uh, the Great Lakes region, and even the northeast. You need to manage the woody cover at the right height. Yeah, because most it's out of control too fast. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Long-growing seasons. Are you kidding me? Stuff can grow clear-cuts blow up in five years uh-huh. and and it's a, that game is much different from northern pa and so you can't d- just apply you can apply the similar practices but the follow-up management looks different in those regions yeah, yeah. the Even principles both can be the principles are the dominant. same but the actual practice yeah is in, different the, in the interval of yeah. those practices is is much different uh, much and different. I, I would say that down south and I'm speaking on average or yeah. based on the all the consulting we've done over the years and working with landowners in the southeast. 
too much woody browse occurs in a lot of those, especially if there's heavy timber operations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't see a lot of the beneficial herbaceous cover. Like the first couple stages. The of early, early succession. succession. You see a lot of young forest. Yeah. But you don't see, like I said, the herbaceous annual dominated plants on a, on a, on a most properties. You yeah. see them like on the roadsides or the edges of the food parcel, but you don't see them truly being just managed and promoted yeah. across acres. That That doesn't occur. No. Uh, when you looked in, uh, when I think of the Southeast management on acres, we're talking, I'm, I'm thinking timber operations. Mm-hmm. So you may see a 50 acre clear cut and in five years, it's 10 foot tall saplings that, that, that isn't providing nearly as much benefit to the wildlife as it was. Or five it was years just ago. replanted pine. Well, replanted pine and they spray it and that's just a majority of pine yeah. and some whatever sweet gums growing yeah. underneath it. Um, <laughs> American Beautyberry, phenomenal cover in Southeast. Um, Greenbrier. Greenbrier, phenomenal. Fantastic. Um, and then you get into some of the other shrubs. I've, I've seen a lot of plum thickets mm-hmm. down even in the Southeast mm-hmm. that are awesome. I can think of a place in Georgia where you get in there and we're looking at, uh, we're looking at plum thickets and uh, little blue. even little blue yep. was great cover. I'm trying to think of shrubs oh, gotcha, uh, gotcha. right now. And and also, one thing that uh, I do before I forget, because there is this, going to get this question most likely, but young pine isn't a bad cover. It's the it's the pine plantation of strictly pines to where a little cluster of naturally regeneration of young pines in a little bitty pocket is great. But if we're looking at vast 200 acres of all the same structure no of pines, it's, it's it's very hard to manage and hunt, especially. I shouldn't say very hard to manage. It's very hard to hunt. It's and, very hard to manage for wildlife. Yeah, for sure. Um, From a timber operation, it's very easy to manage. Yeah. But, right, you know, when we're talking promoting wildlife and diversity among that habitat, you, don't, you just don't have it. It's just non-existent. You don't yeah. have those opportunities to be able to manage it. But like you said, these pockets of, of the important thing when it comes to cover and, and you can talk about there's there's tons. How many times do you see species or other things being promoted that are non-beneficial or, or let's say non-native? Um, they may provide decent cover because they're at the right structure and height. But when it's across an entire landscape, that's not good. Like that's a poor, poor, poor recommendation. You could see these pines in young regeneration in, in a little pocket, let's say. In the hardwoods is what I'm thinking. Yeah. When, when you say, yeah, a little pocket, we're talking like a bedroom size, like 20 by 20 maybe. Yeah. But nothing like acres and acres dominated by just straight only young regeneration. Yeah. You know, thermal it, cover in the southeast or in the south is not thermal cover for the middle of the winter. Thermal cover is mm-hmm. more important for the heat of the summer. Yes, and so that's where it's like okay, it may not be a cedar thicket that's the best thermal cover. Maybe it is a patch of cedars or a patch of pines, but it's on north slope, or it could be closed canopy forest with a breeze blowing through it down on a bottom. north slope down in the bottom next to a creek. Yep, that's thermal cover for you guys down south. You shouldn't be focused on thermal cover for winter th- 
winter thermal or winter cold temperatures because it may only occur for two weeks. Same thing with like the whole soybean aspect of things. Yeah. You probably don't have to have a large amount of acres of and standing, standing grain. <laughs> standing grain. Yes, there's times and windows where that would be beneficial, but truthfully, clover and greens, holy cow. And in, in, in the southeast, you know how oh. like they does it ever stop growing? Are you no, kidding me? I don't me? think so. I think that's so beneficial. That's so huge to have that type of resource on a place. Just manage for what you need, not what you think that you need or what you see you what might need. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that's Down that's south, important. American beetleberry, plums, you're going to get young forest whether you want it or not, which Quickly. is going to be your, your shrubby, woody component. Try to pick the species you want. Terminate uh, the sweet gum. Terminate the sweet gums. But then some of our favorite grasses down there, broom sedge. Mm-hmm. Is one of the most popular. I mean, it's a little blue of the south. Uh, then you got little blue, obviously. What's the, uh, You've got bushy blue stem. Bushy blue stem, yep. which is pretty popular, and that's one. That's the difference. If you're talking one site to the next, oh, totally. If I'm talking very rugged, rocky, sandy, whatever, I'm going to go with little blue. But if I'm down in the wet clay, uh, marshy, boggy mm-hmm. edge, I'm going to go with bushy blue stem because yep. it's way better at having wet feet, and they all grow. With, to adequate heights mm-hmm. to provide great cover. Totally. Um, herbaceous cover is what I feel lacks a lot in the south mm-hmm. because everything grows up so doggone fast. Yep. Um, common ragweed. Disturbance, <laughs> disturbance, disturbance. Uh, yes. Dormant season, dormant season disking. Warm season, growing fires. season fires. fires. Big one. Um, there's all kinds of other forbs, uh, but common ragweed, giant ragweed, um, Your long asters. list of, yep. I mean, just Google. And and that's the other thing too, when you're looking at, again, that long growing season, if you're in the South, yes, your uh, food plot component is super important. But when you think about hunting from October, November, December, then you're really starting to get some frost and everything. You need to be really understanding from a native standpoint, what forage is out there managing and hunting around those native forages because there's still growing season left down there yeah you know and, and it's november what third or something like yeah. that you know, there's still parts that are green and they're really really attractive one thing i really want to mention is whether you're in the south or in the north or in the northeast or out in the midwest um having woody brows having sh- whether that be shrubs young forests that's important. Having forbs, herbaceous cover, that's important. Having grasses, that's important. Hopefully, and having brambles is also very important. You need to have all those in your bedding thickets or uh, as many of those as possible. That's mm-hmm. only going to make it better. If it only has three, I'm only going to rank it a six out of ten. If it's got all of them, I may get closer to nine or ten. Um, depends on how the makeup is. It's not something that, even if you're in the south, I would not want my whole entire bedding thicket to be nothing or my bedding area to be nothing but herbaceous annual, summer annual forbs no. or even uh, even some brambles. Because if you do get that heavy frost, whenever that may occur, after that it's really not as beneficial. 
Heavy frost will definitely knock those down. I mean, we're lay looking it right over. Lay it down, and it's it's game over. And now you're going, dang! I wish I had some shrubs in there, some woody cover to help hold that mm-hmm. stuff together. But if you have that young forest or that herbaceous uh, or that those shrubs mixed in with with grasses, perennial grasses, and you have those summer annuals or those forbs that get whacked with the frost. A lot of times they still stay standing because they're supported by those other species. I, I think that we need to do like a, a podcast of like, and just call it year three. Yeah. Year three of like just a disturbance. If if you're sitting back thinking, huh, I haven't really been in that area in, in a long time, probably time to do something. Yeah. It's, it's the habitats likely potentially degrading in that area. The that that three year stage usually you have a beautiful mixture for tons and tons and tons of different wildlife of annuals, um, perennials, some woody cover, and it's just that beautiful blend of I don't need to touch it. Like this is exactly what I should have. I should have little pockets here, little groves here, and then come back maybe the next year, burn it, yeah. and restart that over. Yeah. And, and and you hopefully have acres and acres of of year three every single year on your property. Yeah, I, we said Whew. southeast, but that's actually the south because we don't have time to go. Okay, <laughs> yeah. now let's go to the yeah. southwest. A lot of those are applicable. If yeah, you, the further west you go, you might get into a uh, Mexican plum, sand plum, things like that. Chickasaw, Chickasaw plum. But beyond one, that, one wild thing same species. Um, that we need to mention too also is, um, what do you if we're going, what's a site 10? What ranks 10 in the south for you for quality or managed for Sweet wildlife? Sweet gum kudzu. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Well, I think I got privet. you beat because I'm going with privet. Yeah. In the oh, south, man. a lot of times it comes down to, like, if you wanted to say, what's some of the best things I can do? It depends on what we're promoting, obviously, like species-wise. But well, um, I'm saying for as many animals as you can, Within tight, within baby. a one acre clear cut or one Woo. acre bedding thicket. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm gonna say uh, in the south before we before you answer that in the south a lot of times if you're going oh, where do I even begin probably a good start is removing the bad stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Rather than trying to put the good stuff in, it's just yeah. getting the the stinking blanket of Chinese privet kudzu. Uh, what was the other one you just mentioned? Sweet gum. Sweet gum. Um, all yep. the stuff that's like, golly, it just takes over. It does. It does. Yeah. That's Chinese privet, and uh, there's a long list, but Chinese privet and mm-hmm. sweet gum, kudzu, are just and kudzu horrible. are just horrible. Some horrible. of the worst. Uh, if I had to summarize, I would like to see, um, if I could, if I would could. say I would love to see broom sedge because yep. that's probably that one's so easy to get. Mm-hmm. Um, some sort of blue stem like little blue stem or bushy blue stem uh even a clump of switchgrass or big blue or any grass would be great or clump a couple sure. clumps of it that would be great i'd I'd love to see especially in in the south definitely a lot of herbaceous growth yeah from from a forb standpoint of okay yep you're gonna have green briar in there that'd be great to have all, all the weeds yeah. ragweed all the weeds pokeweed all giant ragweed all of uh, them. Milkweed. All of them. Yeah. Every single last stinking one that you could get packed in the native. The native. Um, do, you know how forbs. long that lasts you in that type of environment? Oh, man. It's incredible. Well, 
and it, then, and it then lasts the structure as far as it food, yeah. Throughout the remainder of the growing season, with, with all these different components in there, I mean, it's just it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so you it'd can't be, beat it. It would be, be lots of herbaceous plants, lots of forbs. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, mixed in with the native grasses, mm-hmm. some natural um, stump sprout regen. Oh, there, there would definitely be some some pine regen thrown in there. Yeah. A, a touch of hardwood, but not that much. Yeah. Um, and then lots of shrubs. And and shrubs. Yeah. You got it. Shrubs, American beautyberry. Um, I definitely like to see American plum. American plum and American beautyberry would be great starts. Maybe throw in a persimmon tree. Um, (laughs) Outside of that, that's a pretty good makeup. But it's it's five foot tall for the most part. Some of our shrubs might get taller. Oh, sure. Uh, But that's fine. Totally fine. And it would be a little bit, there might be a few hinge cuts in there. A few. It depends on what other trees. And then there would be a lot of cutting. Softwood. Uh, and so that would be kind of ideal because we have that structure that regardless of the frost is going to stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the shrubs, the woody, uh, the natural region, uh, a couple of hinge cuts, and then you've got the pines scattered. Um, so we've got stuff that regardless if you do get a snow, snowmageddon hits Georgia and everyone's crazy and freaking out, well, your deer are fine because they have plenty of cover. Deer are fine, but there ain't no bread or milk in the grocery store. That's right. <laughs> um, and so definitely those are what I'm looking for. Yeah. Now let's hop up north. Let's just say northeast. And the reason northeast and Great, great Lakes. You got okay. anything else to add? I was just going to say we, we covered quite a few of those species with that Instagram question that we'd like to see in the, in the northeast. Yeah. Um, that, that was a good start. Let's say is a big difference between the south oh. or the. Uh, I keep saying northeast, the north, because and the only reason Let, we're lumping the guys in Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York, New York. I'm going to say northern Ohio because there's a line through there. There's uh, a lot of the species that are native that we like. They run that band. Yes, uh, and so it's it doesn't matter what state you're in. They're, they're probably native to your area. Um, and so when you go to the north, it's totally different focus for us than in the south. The principles are the same. We want cover from six foot down, but we're not as herbaceous heavy. We're more woody stem heavy mm-hmm. because um, you're going to get a frost S- in October or even simply, September. Simply look at the growing season. Yes. That, that, that changes the game. Why have herbace as much promotion of herbaceous cover that it's only go that's gonna span a shorter time frame time frame green up longer get killed off earlier you you need the other the woody component much longer so more prevalent to carry these species and those species truthfully that are more native to that area let's say rough grouse yeah. they need that component to just survive. I was going to say if you were to ask me describe let's say I bought a farm in in the north describe that farm and I would say disturbed <laughs> forest. I'd say that's not the Adam Keith that I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Going to take a lot to drag me away from <laughs> Prairie Hollow. Um disturbed forest. Yep. Two words, one big meaning and that is lots of forest regeneration. Lots of disturbance, so there's a lot of, if you're looking at disturbed forests, we're talking about timber operations, log and timber, we've got stump sprouts, we've got aspen, 
We got um, maples. Maples. Lots of regeneration. So rough grouse are doing just fine on my farm, hopefully. It'll be awesome. Um, but then not only does that mean cover and great things for food for the rough grouse, but it's also the same thing for the deer. We're looking mm-hmm. for food for the deer with all the woody brows, uh, all the cover from the woody brows. Nesting um, opportunities for wild turkey. Yep. And at the same time, that disturbance is creating a disturbance on the soil, which means initially right out of the gate, we're going to get some um, annuals coming in, which are providing some herbaceous cover, herbaceous food during the growing season. And then that will transform into more woody browse over time. I think one of the other big, big components to the more northern latitude that you get is managing the aspects of your slope appropriately. Because the species that dominate one side of a ridge versus the other drastically change, typically on basically in the northern regions. We see that represented here, honestly, in, in the Ozarks, and probably really anywhere with terrain. But those components, I guess those species that are present on north slopes and everything, are really, really important. And then the south slope, is also super important from a wintertime yeah. thing. Thermal cover I mean, has a whole new meeting up here than meeting. it does in, in the South pop, uh, talk that we just did. This is talking about how to survive the winter that lasts for eight months. Yes, yes. Deep snows, potentially from the Great Lakes. You just have to be able to manage those. And, and this different deer behavior as well from you know the, the yarding up. And you get that northern New York and uh, probably – parts of wisconsin and minnesota the up of of michigan i think a lot of times you think of like oh i'm i'm way up north but like that's like extreme areas where they do that oh uh, yeah this but, is where i love cedar oh did i not say white cedar before white that cedar. oh come on silly but i mean even a white pine they, they browse heavily on on evergreens up in up in these regions but you, I mean, you can go through and see browse lines on, on the evergreens in areas that don't have the adequate amount of here's the browse question. within reach. I mean, it, it's drastic. The, are they eating evergreens in the northern states because they like it or because that's all they have to eat? Um, I think to some degree, some of them, they do like. I think white cedar. White cedar, like. for sure, they like. White pine. That's a, that's a mediocre. Yeah, that's uh, not a high preference. Uh, but they'll definitely. So do we're it. talking disturbed forest. If you have hardwoods, but I would love and have to see pockets of evergreens for thermal oh, cover. Yeah. But I'm looking more for white cedar, white pine. I like to see hemlock, eastern hemlock. Um, but but these those species though too. I'd like to see them in in more of a shrubber shrubby. Lower tamaracks, color. tamaracks. That's another good one, um, but I'd like to see them more in in a uh, shrubby shorter component, right? Yeah, a, a hemlock that's 150 foot tall. That's great, but like, it, it, unless it's densely stacked in there, shielding capabilities of snow it, it diminishes it because you you know snow will blow in underneath of it uh, yeah. relatively easily. So if if you can manage them, and I know there's you know there's a I can't remember it's, it's not a disease, but I believe it's a I believe yeah. it's a beetle that's getting the hemlock. I can't remember off the top of my head. I I can't believe I forgot that. Well, it's hard to pronounce for me. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, you know, there's 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 different types of management you have to do, but when again, if you're looking at a component of the evergreen to do its most benefit is a shorter growing, whether you top those trees, um, keep them managed so deer can get underneath, shielding, let's say in the umbrella effect to block snow, I think that is th- most preferred. Uh, I, so I was in Pennsylvania consulting last January, and I had an opportunity where the landowner, love this guy dearly, he's awesome. Yep. We had a lot of fun that day. Um, what I advised him to do could take a, a, a sane man and go, what are you talking about? <laughs> he had acres and acres and acres of white pine Yeah, that I had him cutting. Yeah. To like turn complete, around complete and plant hard. white pine. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, he goes, I just want to make sure I'm understanding this. We're cutting all that because it's bad, but we're going to plant more. I said, yes, we are. Bingo. And he's like, okay, well, I'll do what you say. And basically, we go into those pockets of white pine, and they were 15 foot tall. There was no needles 15? from 10 foot down. Um, they were stacked in like cordwood. Like we're gotcha. talking, you couldn't. You would have trouble walking in between them. Yeah. And there were just dead branches everywhere. Gotcha. It, it was like the Virginia pine. A- and the snow was had. blowing underneath them. Yeah. And then never melting because like, it never like, saw the sun. Like like the, the very canopies were, were probably small, but they're just stacked in. Stacked in. So yeah. it was closed canopy, but with no side greenery. Yeah. And so he was cutting those because they weren't going to make him any money because mm-hmm. they were all very unhealthy. Yeah. And then he was planting in a much more spaced out, trying to grow Christmas trees, not yeah, not things the that were growing The conical shape. Yes. Because C- that's the way they huh, naturally grow, right? That's the way they should <laughs> grow. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that's it's what funny. he did. And so thermal cover, hugely important in the northern northern states. But yeah. some of our favorites for shrubs – Nannyberry, black yep. hall, choke cherry. Yep. They produce fruit. They provide great brows. They provide great cover. Um, I, do, I do see deer hammer the hawthorn. Yeah. Hammer. And then we have, uh, what else do we got? Uh, when we're talking about some of our favorite grasses, switchgrass being mm-hmm. one of them, um, because it can stand up. Switchgrass is one of our preferred in those northern states. Even little blue stem um, can be great because, and I don't know why it gets such a, because little is in it. And yeah. you think, by golly, it's got to be bigger, big if I'm going to plant better. it. But little blue stem can withstand a lot more snow than big blue or Indian grass mm-hmm. uh, or eastern gamma grass. So little blue mixed with Eastern, Switchgrass. Eastern Gamma Grass gave up a month ago. It's laying flat. <laughs> Two months ago. Yeah. It's, uh, it's already uh, gone, though. It's man. made seed and it's just laying flat. Yep. Um, but those are some of the shrubs that we're looking for. Uh, there was another one that just lo- left my mind on the grasses. But when we're looking for herbaceous cover, still very similar. Poke, pokeweed being a big one. And that's uh, the thing that I love about natives, and, and it blows people's mind. As as fortunate as we are to travel to all these different places, you guys are probably like, okay, I can probably name the species that they want to promote or that they're going to see. Yeah, because they're everywhere. And that, that's how diverse that they that they are from a, from a varying region in which they grow. Like it, it's incredible for to see the same thing growing in New York as you do in Texas. It's the same it's the same plant, yeah. but they're still providing very similar 
benefits to the wildlife. They might have a different window. Red osier dogwood is the other one there I was thinking. Go. Yeah, that's a really absolutely. good one. Lots of stems. Ooh, lots of stems. I I like that. Uh, honestly, that's a one of the shapes that I like from the shrub yeah. component aspect of things. Uh, Triangle upside down. Yeah. Um, but there's th- managing a lot of the same species across the place, and you're looking for them as you're traveling through. See, okay. Can, can we find these here? Some of the herbaceous stuff, and this is more of a structural standpoint, I saw in northeast um, Ohio, but one we don't get to see here very often is um, Joe Pieweed. Yeah. Beautiful. But yeah. in fields of uh, early successional cover uh, with golden rods everywhere, I mean, you're like, man, that's five foot tall and just gorgeous, just beautiful. Deer could bed down there and get away and... Not, <laughs> I mean, you'd never see them in there, and it just grows thick, um, but has that right height from a co- structure standpoint, cover standpoint, that provides and is extremely beneficial on the landscape. May not be a great forage when it's super tall, however, still plays a big role. Yeah. Um, so, describe our ten rating bedding cover to hunt. In the northern part of the world, I think I think we're we're simply replacing the pine, and we're simply replacing the shrub component uh, that we talked about. The the more preference of the the. Um, I would go. We're subbing out herbaceous cover in the south, and we're putting that all in woody stems, with a little bit. So in the south, we had a little bit of woody cover, and we're turning that into herbaceous cover in the mm-hmm. northern part, and we're turning a majority of it into. A, a lot of the similar species, just the composition changes. The ratio, let's yeah. say, of, of the species changes pretty drastically. And instead of now, little blue, or instead of little blue broom sedge, we're looking more for switchgrass, switch. yep. um, little blue, and uh, and so that's definitely something that we're looking for. Herba- uh, the the herbaceous cover we mentioned those they're not really changing because they right. have such a huge range. Um, just just. Uh, Quick, quick side note. It's not really a side note, I guess, but just to to add fuel to the fire, the importance here. Uh, yesterday, got a text from a gentleman in southeast Ohio. Um, basically, 160 acres of pretty much just straight timber. Hadn't been open, hadn't seen sunlight in a while. Cut in bedding areas in January of this year. Um, they didn't harvest this deer over top of the bedding area, but the deer died in the bedding area. And I got sent a picture of the the buck that got harvested and then in the background i'm looking over the bedding area i'm thinking holy cow look how beautiful from a habitat standpoint that area is and i was seeing things like uh blackberry there's still you know treetops a lot of things had died off they had a hard frost it was a little tough to tell in the in the background of a photo but there was even clump grass i don't yet know what uh that grass was looked similar to a a switchgrass and that this is a hundred percent forest, just closed canopy that has again not seen sunlight in sixty years, and these things just pop right there in one year, less than one year. My gosh, it's been it's been nine months since. How that excited was, just was he for the change? Pretty excited from what from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, you know they they, I think they had three different mature bucks that were spotted within two days on the place. Uh, I think his time has been a little limited in the stand just based on family obligations. But um, success like that, you know, on a, on a property, um, 
of of that size among hundreds and hundreds of acres of closed canopy forest, some sort of habitat change is going to be attractive, especially when you have that regeneration oh. like he has seen in in that area. I mean, it's a huge positive, and a lot of things that we mentioned there, you know, from the northern aspect are, are coming back. So, and I think uh, that's something to note is that's why. That's why we get so many emails, calls, texts from our clients raving about the bedding thickets that they just put in. Because I mean, that was, they that noticed yesterday. That, that's as fresh as you can get from exactly what we're talking about. I had a guy call me this, this summer getting amped up because he had several bachelor groups coming out of these bedding thickets into alfalfa fields or wherever. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, I've never done one thing habitat-wise that I've seen the biggest amount of change. And a lot of times, yeah, it's it's hard to like, let's say place a finger on okay that's actually kind of what did that or you know i'm seeing that type of movement on the farm well directly probably correlated to the habitat or or that cover aspect that's now present on the landscape that was non-existent before i i love these um and and we've been to we've been to some properties where we don't have to rec we don't have to recommend any of them Maybe that cover's already there, or recommend a small portion of them, but the historical land landscape suggests we should do something else, and when we do that, then we're going to have more of an open, let's say, uh, grassland that has the shrub component that comes back. You know, it, it not everything needs to be a, let's say, bedding thicket, but my gosh, they're hard to compete with. <laughs> I mean, it's like, goodness. Said- if you're in timber country... Yeah, when I say timber country, I mean like legit straight up timber company. Probably should should consider them. <laughs> yes, even if you're in like even if you're in Iowa, which oh Oak Savannah, <laughs> like you should still consider it because um, your your twenty foot cedars don't have a lot of cover value. They're only using them because it's the only thing with cover with yep. some some benefit as cover. Um, some some of the worst. Wood, wood, wooded or timbered acres that I've ever seen from a habitat standpoint. <laughs> Southern Iowa. Southern Iowa. Yeah. So, and people are like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm dead serious. Horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> from, a, from a quality of a wildlife standpoint. Horrendous. Yeah. But it can only get better, right? Yeah. Just by doing something. I had, so we have a couple of clients that we work with. And I remember one of them telling me he's never seen so many pheasants yeah. while we while I worked a property just a few weeks ago in the same county where the guy's like, we haven't seen pheasants in forever. I don't know if there's any many around here. I'm like, we can go right up the road and I can show you yep. one of the best populations that I know of. Oh. And it's because we manage the land not for deer. So not, not solely for deer. Not solely for deer. Other things what I meant by that was we we were doing land management, not deer management. Correct, correct. And so, but that that by default, by by treating the land, it's going to treat us well by by let's say enhancing the habitat that is available for wild like whitetails to thrive. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's it's not like oh you guys don't care about deer or you guys don't care about whatever. It's no the, the approach is is focus on the land. The land is going to do what we need it to do if we do it right. It, you know, it's it's just um we just need to get let's say our our the priority or the focus shifted a little bit to the land because that's the resource. The land is the resource. The the whitetails, the quail, the pheasants they're they're the uh, 
let's say the cherry on top uh, yep. that we get to have a part in. They're the resource that we get to be able to um, partake in. One thing I want to say before we move on from the northern northern part is this is where hinge cutting, this is where we catch flack from the guys. Uh, this has a bigger role. It, it, it does because it does produce when you hinge cut a maple or you hinge cut a uh, – an elder uh, it does sprout like crazy which is phenomenal but i promise you in five years you're probably gonna have to cut that tree again oh, or yeah. cut those sprouts again hinge cutting does have value but i wouldn't go crazy with it i would no, rather no, no, no. seed red red o's your dog would i'd rather see nanny berry i'd rather see some of these uh shrubs mixed in because they provide better year-round benefits whether that be with cover or forage, and they're not going to grow without outer reach. And they're only going to reach a certain height, and then they're just going to keep spreading out. They're not going to keep going up like some of your stump sprouts from a hinge cut. So make sure you can add in hinge cuts, not bashing them too much. Just don't go crazy with them because they do provide that um, that cover that's not going to change from a heavy frost. You're still going to have good cover. Um if you did a whole bunch of if if the northern guys migrated down south and started managing um, the southern part of the U.S. for deer, oh my goodness, that'd be hilarious just to watch because it would be the biggest. Oh, I can't even imagine what it'd look like because they'd all come down and start hinge cutting um, <laughs> sweet gums and sweet gums and oh, uh, privet. Privet would be. F- it would be the first time Chinese privet's ever been hinge cut. Is if the no, guys I guarantee <laughs> that's not true. I guarantee that's not true. And so, yeah, that would be uh, something funny. We just we're gonna do that's the next TV show. You know how they did like wife swap or what was that? It was something swap where like one wife yeah. or one husband. We're gonna do northern guy swaps with southern guy and show them managing the like farm. That gave me an ulcer just thinking. Because you know Chinese privet and kudzu and Japanese honeysuckles getting no shipped s- up north. Shipped up north. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, the first winter that kudzu is gonna just turn inside <laughs> out. But what in the heck? Yeah. Oh gosh! So now let's go in between. Yep, uh, we're going Midwest, and we we're don't. We're already at US. an hour. We're going Central U.S. Pretty much in the middle. And I know that's a very easy thing to say. Oh yeah, well you just picked it. You guys are already on over an hour. But in the middle, we still get heavy frost. We still have oh, yeah. the need for a lot of woody browse. In fact, we we have, lack we have the perfect balance of herbaceous requirements. And I say we, people in this region. And that could go from Virginia all the way to Kansas. Oh, yeah. And a state south of that and a state north of that. That's kind of what we're talking. That that middle latitude line of, of, of North America. Some winters, you're going to need way more woody browse. Other years, you're going to need way more herbaceous cover. Yep. Uh, or focused on those two. Um, we, we, have, we have years where uh, the rain fluctuates. Typically, on, on average, from, from Virginia to Kansas, you're somewhere in... 38 to like 50 inches of rain yeah. you're, you're get somewhere through there unless you go out a little far west of that of, yeah of those states but you know that that being said is you've got mediocre you know decent growing degree days and then you but you still have the opportunity to get these these uh weather events during the winter time where you do get dumped with some snow you do get um, ice. Ice is a big thing. So the woody component um, plays a big role as well as her- herbaceous cover. Um, 
That's why I like this area because we can take some of the really awesome species from the north, from the ones we mentioned, yep. and bring them into our area, and they're still probably on the south end of the native range. Mm-hmm. We can go into the south and go, oh, American Beauty Bear, I really like that. Well, let's go, oh, we're on the northern side of that range, so yep. we're going to plant American Beauty Berry. Um, oh, I really love common ragweed, and it's going to be oh, hugely it- beneficial, or giant ragweed, and it's going to grow 10 foot tall because of our growing season. And still provide great cover. Um, I don't want too much such grass, but I can still have a little bit of it because I may need it for uh, winter, good winter cover. But it's only scattered clumps. It's but not boy, huge I've got, monocultures. I've got big blue. I've got Indian. I've got. Uh, oh, geez, don't even start that list of, of native grasses <laughs> oh, that we like for the Midwest or for the mid- <laughs> middle United States. Let's just go with D, all the above. <laughs> yeah, diversity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, that's kind of a – one thing I will mention is blanket statements for cover is really, really dangerous territory to say we're going to hack and squirt this whole area. We're going to hack and squirt these bedding areas. Woo, that that gets real, real difficult um, and goes into very dangerous territory and doesn't have a whole lot of – uh, grit in those guts because you just removed the the woody aspect of it. You just removed the woody aspect, and, and think about it like this, man. How many how many viral pictures oh, oh, have thinking. you seen? Um, have you seen in the last five years of a big buck laying underneath a dead tree that's that's fallen on on them? <laughs> oh, I've seen some. Oh, you you see it? It's very it's very viral. Um, and I think about this in a bedding area. That, that goes back to one of those phrases of, hate to see him go like that or something like that. Hey, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. Dang, uh, I'd sure like to see him next year. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's a great deer. He'd been even better next year. Um, you see you see these trees falling on dead deer. The last thing I want in my bedding areas is a whole bunch of 50-foot trees standing dead. Um, and, and really, you know, because we manage our bedding thickets a lot with fire. And yeah. uh, I don't want any more snags on my those, place. Those are some smokestacks. I don't want a whole bunch of them. Yeah. And you lose that benefit of a woody trunk that's hinge cut or laying on the ground and limbs providing stump great sprouts. Yeah. Uh, stump sprouts. So it's a really, really bad practice to promote hack and squirt for all bedding areas. Um, it's a really, really bad practice to promote nothing but hinge cutting for bedding areas. Okay, uh, that That just goes to say that there's – you There's no to, diversity in that. Exactly. You're get a very similar expression across all those acres treated exactly the same. So you have to be you have to be creative in the way that you approach natural resource management because you need a suite of species to carry and provide these benefits, not not just a, a single application or, or a single practice to be able to get what you want from a response of the natural resources there. It's it's gotta be broader than just you know, uh, so here, blanket. So here in Missouri, if we had nothing but, if we went in, we hack and squirted our bedding thickets, and we had, we were just trying to promote herbaceous cover natives, we would get hit, I can almost guarantee you. October 15th, heavy frost, going to be 31. All that cover is now going, by the end of October, it's pretty much on the ground. We're going, A so potentially could be. all I have are big dead trees, some small dead trees, 
and nothing on the ground because all well, the no, cover. No, no, you got the limbs on the ground. Limb, <laughs> the few, few limbs on the ground. <laughs> few limbs on the ground. Um, no leaves. And then a bunch of yellow stuff laying on the ground because I got herbaceous cover. That's what I came for. Yeah. Uh, and some brambles. Oh, yeah, you'd have brambles. But if before. I did some less than 30% hinge cuts and I did some just felling of trees and then I fell some trees and just treated the stumps in a rule of thirds – I would have a great mix to no matter what, I would have herbaceous cover in case it was a, a warm year. I have plenty of uh, herbaceous cover and brambles for forage. Um, and I've got woody brows available and I've got some shrubs mixed in. It's the perfect combination. I'm sitting pretty. So anyway, guys, we're way over an hour. We're trying to be in the stand in the morning. It's almost 10 o'clock. We're trying to record. So uh, join us over on our hunting podcast that we're getting ready to record. And, uh, Thanks so much for all the recommendations, the likes, uh, interaction on social media. It's much appreciated. It's what keeps this going. Um, If you want this to keep going, we need your continued support. So we thank you guys for that. We'll catch you next week. All right, guys.